The Local Youth Worker is a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. Since 1972, RYM has sought to reach and equip youth for Christ. And this podcast seeks to reach and equip those parents and youth workers who share that same desire. For more information on our student conferences, youth leader training, or resources, visit rym.org. Welcome back to another episode of The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. This is episode uh, 360, and I am here with uh, Greg Meyer. Greg, how's it going? It's going pretty good, John. Good to be with you, brother. Yeah, it's good to see you, man. It is. Um, later in the episode, we will have AJ Swoboda finishing out our Rested Development segment, and then Dr. Kelly Capick will be on uh, the next few weeks uh, talking about his book, You're Only Human, uh, in our Rested Development segment. And then we will also have Jared Kennedy joining us a little bit later today um, to talk about a, a, a few different things, talking about children's ministry, uh, talking about a book that he uh, put together, uh, talking about uh, gender to your children. Um, so I look forward to that conversation. Uh, for now, though, I'm here with Greg Meyer. Um, Greg, uh, I had to look. You were on episode 343 with us, um, talking about your track booklet. Um, for those who, who may remember, uh, Greg wrote A Student's Guide to Justification. Um, and Greg, remind me the church you're serving at and how long you've been there. Sure. I'm at Covenant Presbyterian Church in St. Louis, Missouri, and I've been here going on seven years. Okay. And prior to that, you did uh, student ministry at First Pres Jackson, and I'd love for you to share um, an essential of a youth retreat. Or I know we were talking just uh, briefly uh, pre-recording. You have a few, um, and I'm sure we could add to this list. But why don't you just kind of rattle off your list of uh, kind of some essentials of a youth retreat? Yeah, no problem. You know, these are a few things that you know I've done this. Quite a few times. Uh, I, I tell people I kind of go into retreat mode when I uh, trip, but these are these are things that that popped to the top of the, the surface here. Um, you know, first one. This this has kind of grown for me over time is ha- having a unified vision or just kind of a, a learning or growth objective. You know, for the weekend that you know that can be woven in through even like the name of the retreat, the the shirts and all that. Um, but but that everything you're doing. Is pushing in that direction, even the type of games that you have and how you structure the weekend, then that makes it even more meaningful and, and more transformative for students, I believe. Um, it has to be fun because, you know, like we say, that's the, the language of kids and, and teens. And so that, but that using those times to connect people who are newer to the group or just deep in friendships already in the group, um, part, of, part of developing all those things is having a dedicated, equipped leader team, which is, makes the, the ministry more fun for you. But also, is it going to enable you to actually do do the work well and mm-hmm. uh, make it happen? Um, obviously, biblical teaching. Uh, biblical teaching is at the heart of it, and that's connected, hopefully, the theme. Um, but I would just say, you know, time and space uh, for prayer, for for slowing down, for even silence and and rest. You know, and, and increasingly now that that means no devices. I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of, especially on weekend re- retreats, bringing no devices. Yeah. Um, and, you know, getting away to a beautiful place and ROM does a lot of that, um, you know, as much as you can, even if it's not the most beautiful place, if you can go somewhere away from the norm to get students out of their normal rhythm, slow down, be with one another, hear some truth, have some fun and walk away um, equipped to take take with them uh, what, what they've experienced back into 
uh, back into their day-to-day life and hopefully have some deeper Christian friendships out of it. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. So, so how many was that off? Do you have those numbered on your paper in front of you? Um, looks, looks like roughly seven. <laughs> okay. But hey, seven. There you go. Did you even intend to have that number? It is a per- the, per- the perfect <laughs> the vocal number. No, but you know, God moves in mysterious ways, John. That's, that's exactly right. Um, no, all of those were great. Um, and some of those, we've had a few people on now, and I know fun has been talked about. I'm glad that you brought that up because we can't, you know, downplay the, the importance of fun sometimes by sp- swinging the pendulum too far in the other direction. Um, I also like that you, you just talk about kind of quiet and devotional time and kind of emphasizing. I mean, again, to me, so much of the report, the um, emphasis of a retreat is to get away and to retreat, you know, literally from so much of our daily lives. Um, I'd love for you, I know we're about to wrap this up and it's it's so brief, but just kind of the leadership team, maybe just touch on that a little bit because that's something that hasn't been brought up yet, just the importance of that. Yeah, yeah I think, you know, it depends on on your situation at church, you know, if you have folks on staff or if it's just you and you're working with volunteers, but whatever it is, um, making sure that you're collaborating with them in terms of the vision for this retreat and um, spending the time to equip them and being prepared for uh, carrying out that vision in the weekend and, you know, having your eyes on students that are visiting and, and, uh, you know, uh, just aspects of the, of the trip that you, uh, you need to go well and you can't be everywhere at once. And so um, making sure that, that you guys are all, you know, everybody is pulling in the same direction. And, and it's honestly, you know, ministry in a team is just so much more fun and things are going to, things are going to go better than way better if you, if you work with folks and, and, and set them up for um, using their gifts in the context of that weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. That, that's really good. And especially um, trying to not make it all about ourselves. You, you know, when we have a team, it's less about one individual person and more about, you know, a, a team, a community working together uh, to pull off an event. So that's, yeah, a lot of good stuff there, Greg. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, for now, here is our Rested Development segment uh, with AJ Swoboda and Lynn Grosso will be joining us as well. All right, we are back with AJ Swoboda uh, for the last time. And uh, as we've said in between recording, there's so much more uh, to discuss. And um, AJ being so generous with his time, he teaches a class in about 20 minutes, I think. So <laughs> we're bringing it down to the down to the wire. Um, so what we started uh, talking about. That the guy who's talking about Sabbath <laughs> has to run off to class after talking about the Sabbath. <laughs> Uh, but, but, you know, it's rest and work together, right? It's, it's all, it's all connected. And so, look, we've talked about rest, we've talked about work, and obviously they're overlapping in all of these, but I wanted to end by uh, the, the word no, um, because you have a section in your book talking about saying no. And, um, you know, I've quoted you at each segment, I figured I would end with a quote as well. Uh, but you say this, you say, as I define it, a cult exists anywhere people are not permitted to say no. A cult is a place where a yes is assumed or even forced, where individuals are indoctrinated, lost in the crowd, swept along mindlessly to do what their leaders tell them to do. In cult life, people are pulled along from obligation to obligation without reference to thought or conscience, as though they have no choice in the matter. Religious fanaticism is a cult. Secular fundamentalism is a cult. Consumerism is a cult. And some of our relationships, environments, and commitments have become cults. Um, 
Such good words. I'd love for you just to kind of elaborate on this thought of saying no and the importance of it. Mm. Well, we got to begin by receiving no's. Um, uh, by that, uh, we can't really appropriate God's yeses in our lives until we first understand the no's in our lives, the things that he says He says no to. And no doubt the the model for this and and our and our basis, our foundation for this theology of no, uh, is Jesus. Who uh, you know, it's we're, we're recording this on Holy Week, and this week we celebrate Jesus on a cross. But of course, um, we meander our way during this Holy Week through the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus um, pleads with the Father while the disciples are sleeping. Um, Jesus pleads with the Father, "If it's your will, would this." cup pass? And would I not need to suffer on the cross? And so he essentially, Jesus asks to not be crucified. And when, when we, you know, think about that story of Jesus talking to the father and asking to not get crucified, I think it's instructive to ask the question, was Jesus's prayer answered? Was it answered? And most Americans will say that his prayer was not answered. Um, and the reason we say that a lot of people say his prayer was not answered is because as Americans, um, we only interpret a prayer to be answered if we get what we asked for. When in reality, his prayer was answered. And the answer was no. You will die on a cross. Uh, Jesus's prayer was answered. And it, it just so turns out that God sometimes answers prayers with no's. And so he becomes the model. I mean, that is the, that's the crucifixion of Jesus. We are saved by a God who was willing to receive a no in prayer. And the truth is, had the father answered yes to Jesus, we would still be in our sin. The world was saved by the father saying no. And if, so my point is, here's what I'm saying. Uh, we follow that guy. <laughs> that, that, that is the model for our life, is the, one, is the God of the universe who knows how to hear and know and be obedient. So if, if we want to practice that on a schedule level, we probably need to start by seeing it on a theological level. That part of the way of Jesus is recognizing the no's and being obedient to them. That's so good. Um, AJ, I'd love for you just to, to kind of elaborate. Okay, why is it so hard for us to say no? Um, if that's the case, even you, you just made a theological argument. We follow this creator who, who says no. Why? Why is it so hard for us? Um, it's hard for us because we worship people over God. Mm-hmm. And we worship what people think over God. We worship um, our accomplishments over God. We worship the things that we produce over God, we're idolaters and we put other things over God and we value the thoughts of men more than the thoughts of God. It's, and this is not an indictment on everybody else here. I'm sitting here in my confession booth, naming this about myself. I say yes all the time because I don't want to hurt people's feelings. I don't want to offend somebody. I don't want to lose further opportunities. I don't want somebody to not invite me to come speak somewhere. I don't want da, 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 da. So I compulsively say yes to keep the train going. 
Um, my spiritual director doesn't mince words. He calls it my false self. And the false self is the thing that says yes uh, for the self's sake rather than the God's sake. We'll do it. We'll do it. So um, I'm struck that Jesus was wildly willing to disappoint people and that his ministry was, was not built on supporting everybody's desires of him. And even when the people come to make Jesus by force, he walks through the crowd to get out of the room because he refu he refuses to be made a king by force. So he dis Jesus was a, a wild disappointment. It was a wild disappointment to the people around him. He wasn't the king they wanted. He wasn't the Messiah they wanted. He wasn't the healer they wanted. He wasn't the son they wanted. He wasn't the carpenter they wanted. Jesus was not what people wanted. And yet he was everything that God wanted. That's so good. AJ, you say um, in uh, Subversive Sabbath, God is always a worthy excuse to say no to something. Mm -hmm. And I love that so much because I, I have to remind myself of that oh. too, is um, especially in ministry, like everything, you know, air quotes, everything I'm doing is for the Lord. Like, how can I say no to an opportunity that he's given me to do ministry when a student invites me yep. to something on my day off? Like, how can I say no to that? A, a teenager wants to do something with me and they don't know, but like, I yes. want to tell them about Jesus. So how do I say no to that? Um, but I've been learning um, <laughs> kind of like what your spiritual uh, director says to you, my, some of my mentors in my life have been reaffirming that I'm not that big of a deal, right? Like if I say no to that student who wants to hang out on my day off, if I'm like, oh no, I can't tonight, but another night, it's not like she's going to sit in her room and cry herself to sleep. She's going to text the other person and say, hey, you want to do something, right? Like yes. free myself from that burden of importance. Um, yes. It's really big for me. And yeah, um, like on a Sunday ministry, just um, protecting uh, protecting my Sabbath. Yeah. Since it's not on Sunday when that is a lot of people's day off and it's like, Hey, can you, why don't you come over? And it's like, well, actually like this is a two hour block that I am just going to protect in order for me to do my job better, you know, later tonight when we have youth group or, um, really, yeah. Like taking that from Jesus of like saying no to every, I don't have to say yes to everything. That burden isn't on me. That's never been the ex expectation here. Um, it's just that like, well, if I say no, they're going to be really, they're going to be so disappointed. Really? Are you? are you yeah. that important? Like, you know, freeing myself from that. Um, so remembering that God is a worthy excuse to say no, because Jesus, like there is, God doesn't give me that thing of you better say yes to every opportunity that comes your way. Uh, Lynn, I was amazed for uh, 10 years as a senior pastor of a church. I was amazed at my own heart, how um, I would, I'm amazed that I would because I knew how much money people gave to the church, I found myself just catching myself that I always said no to people that didn't tithe and the people that gave a lot, I gave, I, I said yes to. Mm -hmm. wow. And I, I, I just, I sort of noticed in myself that the people that gave the most to the church, I almost felt like I was obliged to say yes because they were hiring me. Mm -hmm. And you know, I named that, I hope nobody from the church is listening to that, <laughs> but uh, at what point do we become, at what point do we stop being ministers of the word and become hirelings out of fear or because we think we have to say yes because we're being paid to do it or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's Moses, right? Going up on the mountain 
and receiving the law of God and bringing it down to the people below. And all the people down below are worshiping a golden calf. And I, I've thought about that image a hundred times, you know, Moses coming up the mountain, coming back down, everybody's worshiping a golden calf. And I've had these epiphanies of like, that is why pastors and leaders don't Sabbath is they're terrified. If they go up on the mountain, they're going to come back down. Everybody's going to be worshiping a golden calf. What's going to happen when I'm not in the room. Mm -hmm. But when I address my own heart, my problem more often than not is not that actually my problem is if I go up on the mountain and come back down, I'm going to see everybody still worshiping God. And I'm going to realize I'm not as important as I thought I was. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to realize I'm not central to this whole thing. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just a part, but I'm not the center. Yeah. And in a way, the Sabbath disrupts our narcissism because it, it actually declares that Jesus is the Lord of our schedule and the Lord of the week. And I am not, and that's hard. I don't want that, but that's a distinctive mark of getting out of the way. A distinctive mark of holiness is your ability to get out of the way. When you, the transfiguration story, which is by the way, the, it's a retelling of Moses going up on the mountain and bringing the law down, but it's now Jesus is the new Moses. And uh, Jesus is now revealing his glory as the new Moses. And Peter and John are there, Peter, James, John are there. And they see Jesus and who's Jesus with? He's with Moses and Elijah. And they fall to the ground and they're like, cause they, they think we should put up these tabernacles and worship all three of you. And they fall down to the ground, open their eyes and guess who's gone. Elijah and Moses are both gone. Here's the point. A mark of holiness is that you know how to get out of the way. You know how to get out of the way. You know how to disappear so that people can love God more than they can love you. Yeah. Wow. Right? That's why Paul would start churches and then leave within six months. Because he knew that had he stayed too long, people would have worshipped him more than Jesus. Mm -hmm. I, I jokingly say this, but I think your community, your youth group, your church, is one sab sabbatical away from a revival. <laughs> Get out of the way and let Jesus be the Lord. Mm -hmm. that's, oh, that's good. good. Yeah. Now I have um, one more question. Can I? Please do. That? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, so later on in uh, the book, you say, uh, without a day of Sabbath, we are not able to enjoy our abundance. And I was just wondering, uh, AJ, like you give us some examples and other things that I've listened to, but in case somebody's not ever um, interacted with your work, can you just tell us what some of that abundance is that you've been able to experience by practicing Sabbath and what it like are some of the things that we have to look forward to that we just don't even know? Yes, I will make I will make comment to that on one condition that none of your listeners interpret this to mean that if you Sabbath, you're going to get all these benefits in your life. And here's why I want to say that um, we do not obey God because of the benefits of obeying God. The rewards of obedience is obedience. That's the reward of obedience. And so I say that to say, I will tell you the benefits, but don't Sabbath for the benefits. Sabbath because you obey God. Okay. So some of the benefits, number one, my son uh, loves that he has a God that tells his dad he has to come home one day a week. And the Sabbath is, is the gospel for children. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the gospel for kids because without God telling parents to come home from work, then the kids get displaced by work. And all of a sudden we worship, we, we, we practice child sacrifice and we need uh, the modern form of child sacrifice. We need a God who tells the parents to come home. So it's my son loves the Sabbath because his dad is fully home and he doesn't have to worry about his dad going somewhere else. 
Um, I would say secondly, uh, it's blessed my marriage. And when I say it's blessed my marriage, um, it has opened up doors of intimacy and honesty that would not be available to us if we were buzzing around for a whole day, driving our kids to soccer games. Um, thirdly is, um, it's really helped my anxiety and I get why everybody smokes weed right now. We're all anxious, but God has a response to anxiety and it's not weed. Uh, it's Sabbath and my anxiety has a day to find a place to calm down. And my heart needs that. My body needs that. Um, if we're not going to Sabbath, we're probably gonna start smoking weed. We got to have something. Yeah. So we, we should probably do the Sabbath. Um, <laughs> uh, I would say fourthly, that it's reconnected me to creation. Because on the Sabbath, I love to get out and garden and get out in the soil. And I need a day to smell the flowers. I need a day to get in the soil. Because I spend most of my life among books in my office and with students and writing. And I need a day to get my hands in the soil and remember that I am dirt. And to be a Christian is to be, to re to realize who you are. You're a dirt that breathes. You're dirt that breathes. That's what you are as a human being. You're dirt that breathes. And we need a day to get back into the dirt. Hmm, so great. there's a lot of benefits, but those are some of the biggies. Also, I eat a lot on the Sabbath. That's all. <laughs> pancakes, right? Pancakes. Yeah. Pancakes. I watch a movie on the Sabbath, sometimes two. Um, sometimes three. And you know what? Here's the deal. There's no perfect Sabbath. And the same God that tells us to rest is the same God that died on the cross for us. And if that God gave us the gift of Sabbath, then that means that there's grace for Sabbaths that aren't perfect because there's no such thing as a Sabbath, perfect Sabbath that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So the God who gives us the Sabbath is the one who gives us forgiveness too. Yeah. Praise the Lamb. Uh, that's so good, AJ. Uh, so much more we'd love to talk about. And I think I said that the last time you came on, and I said that means we're just going to have to get you back. So once again, we'll just have to get you back on uh, down, love it. Down, down the line. But uh, really, thank you so much. Let me point people to your book again, Subversive Sabbath, as well as other books that you've, you've written. Um, I know you've got a class to teach. So AJ, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. It has been an absolute joy and God's grace to each and every person who's listening. And may there be no shame that anybody's feeling nobody's a fit you jesus is wildly ecstatic about you and died on the cross for you amen hey everybody i'm here with uh jared kennedy jared how's it going good good to be with you john yeah good to see you and uh kurt cooper is joining us today as well uh kurt how's it going hey john good to see you yeah, good to see you too, Kurt. It's been a while since you've been back on with us. Um, glad I, I thought it was me, but I, I guess you, you you came back. It was, it was <laughs> you, John. <laughs> um, so look, uh, today we're going to be talking about children's ministry. We're going to be talking about some of Jared's books. He's he's spent a lot of time in in children's ministry. Has has written uh, a lot extensively on uh, children's ministry, but then also uh, a discussion about one of his books on on gender. Uh, but uh, Jared, before we, we get into that, why don't you tell us just a little bit about uh, what you do with the Gospel Coalition, and um, then we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about your, your time in children's ministry. Yeah, I'm actually brand new at TGC, so just started working there in January, and um, I serve on the editorial content team uh, with Ivan Mesa, and primarily I'm uh, working to acquire books for our book line and acquiring content for 
Bible and theology and ministry on the on the website. Great, great. And um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your family as well? Yeah, so Megan and I've been married for a little over twenty years uh, now. Um, we met in college down at uh, Tacoma Falls College in Georgia, and uh, then came up here to Louisville, where we are now for seminary. And uh, we have three daughters, uh, Rachel, Lucy, and Elizabeth. Rachel's uh, 17, Lucy's 15, and uh, Elizabeth is 12. All right. Um, and Jared, as I said, before we jump into to some of your books, I'd love to hear uh, just kind of your path into to ministry, uh, how you sense the Lord calling you to ministry, but then specifically kind of focused in children's ministry. Yeah, I... Um... You know, I grew up uh, in Southern Baptist churches and uh, in Georgia, and I felt a uh, call to ministry at youth camp um, in youth group. And um, I remember going forward and talking with the pastor at a at a conference and um, committing to a call to ministry at at that time. Um, but then, as I I met Megan and we started talking, we were um, planning through most of our education at Tacoa, and then. Um, at Southern Seminary, where I went to seminary, uh, to go with Wycliffe overseas to be Bible translators. Um, and it was really, it was really two things um, that, so all my education, I don't really have any Christian ed courses, maybe one that I was required to take. Um, but they're all in Greek and Hebrew and linguistics. And so, because wow. um, uh, we, were, we were planning to go overseas and do the Bible translation thing. Um, and so there were two things that came up that uh, were um, the the move into into children's ministry. Um, one, I helped plan a vacation Bible school at a church where I was serving as associate pastor, and uh, we started learning uh, the little Baptist catechism, catechism for boys and girls through that VBS. Um, and then when we went to our next church at Sojourn um, Church, where I served for a number of years. They found out that I was like the one guy serving in children's ministry that had planned a big event before. And so I started being handed in a church plant a lot of responsibility for for kids ministry things. Um, And then secondly, um, our middle daughter, uh, Lucy, I was telling you guys before the call, was diagnosed um, with autism uh, when she was three years old. And um, and so the Lord really use those events in our life to kind of help us weigh whether or not being overseas on the field was going to be best for her. And so um, the Lord settled us uh, here in Louisville serving in family ministry for, for a little over a decade um, because of that change. I, I just, I'm a, I'm a little shocked. You helped plan a VBS and it made you want to do children's ministry. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. That heard? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that actually happened. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, you, you you definitely have to have, yeah, just a, a love for that. Um, and, and since a, a strong call for, for the Lord, because, yeah, as, as Kurt says, sometimes people are thrown VBS and Kurt's shaking his head. Um, so, Kurt, what is it about VBS that, uh, <laughs> that you love so much? Planning VBS is hard. I mean, it's, it's difficult. Any, I mean, look, anytime you work in the church, you're working with volunteers and you're a hundred, almost a hundred percent of your workforce is volunteer workforce. And that's a lot different from someone who comes from a, if you come from a, a business background of any kind where you have paid labor, you've got to, you know, 
recruit those volunteers. You know, you've got to put them in the place where they want to go. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, I don't know if you know this, John, since, you know, you don't have a lot of experience with children, but children can be quite demanding. <laughs> it can be kind of difficult. Um, and sometimes they don't, it's hard to rationalize with them and reason with them when they don't get their way. So mm-hmm. and you've got, typically you have a lot of them at VBS. So that can be kind of taxing as well. Are right. you talking about the volunteers or the children? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yes, I'm talking about yes. Our, our kids just walk in a single file line everywhere we go, and uh, are, are perfect little angels. So I don't know uh, what you're talking about, Kurt. Um, just curious, Jared, in, in your years of, of ministry, how many VBSs have you ever ever seen? If you um, <laughs> kind of put you on the spot there, <laughs> uh, ten or eleven, something like that. Okay. So, right. yeah. yeah, pretty good. Yeah. Bit. How many? Now, the real question is, how many times have you played a role in the skit? Ooh. <laughs> uh, three or four. Okay, I, that is not my spiritual gift. Yeah. <laughs> see, so. I think that's I think that's a testament. <laughs> that might be the source of some of your longevity. There is if you kept having to be in the skit, you might have burned out. But they've managed to preserve you. That's wonderful. <laughs> that's great. Um, well, well, Jared, I've mentioned, uh, that you've, you've written a little bit. I know one of your books is entitled keeping your children's ministry on mission, uh, practical strategies for discipling the next generation. Um, there's so much that we can discuss from this book. I mean, you, you cover so much ground in this book, uh, kind of maybe a broader just question, uh, to begin as we're, I mean, <laughs> Kurt's joking about VBS. Uh, we know sometimes the children's ministry and youth ministries work together to kind of pull those, uh, programs off. Just some thoughts on how, how can youth ministry and children's ministry work together in, in the local church, um, uh, you, you know, I know there's some overlap. I know every church is different. Some church just has a youth ministry, you know, that kind of oversees some of that. Some have two different staff members doing that. But just some thoughts on how youth ministry and children's ministry can work together. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, my youngest is about to, she's in our youth group right now, and she's going to serve at VBS in a few weeks. And so just because we're talking about VBS, I'm thinking about that, that um, I think any time, you know, working with kids and training up students in the student ministry to work with a younger generation. Um, there's safety protocols that have got to be in place for that. There's there's you, a lot of supervision that's got to be in place for that. Um, but I think it's a great opportunity for discipleship. I mean, we have a culture that trains us from an early age to think about ourselves. And I think as we even in what we've been talking about, whenever you're working with kids, it's really about them in a lot of ways. Like it's for the volunteers, you've got to orient your service around the kids that you're serving and to teach uh, our students in student ministry that um, from an early age, I think um, is just a great discipleship opportunity for them. I, I mean, the other things like teaching them how to teach, teaching them how to, how to serve and do kind of the small tasks um, as well and, and see their part in the larger body. I think, I think all of those things are, are a big part of that. I don't know, backing that up a little bit, I think um, to a bigger picture, I just say, um, you know, one thing, I, I think sometimes we have a tendency to uh, kids ministry and student ministries just do their own thing. Um, but I think, talking together 
and asking the question, what do we really want uh, kids to experience in our church before they graduate from high school? And what does a discipleship plan look like um, that walks from nursery all the way to senior year? And I, I think that's something that that youth ministers and children's ministers can really work together on and think about um, so that what's happening in children's ministry really is helping kids build the skills they need, even just to, to open the Bible or hear, hear a sermon during youth ministry to, to study the Bible together. So they're ready to enter student ministry. Um, and that, you know, those things are really building upon one another throughout. So I, I think thinking about that big picture, um, it's a great first step just to have that conversation and ask that question. Yeah. If I could, if I could follow up with a question, Jared, okay. Let's say that I'm a youth minister or I'm a church leader of some kind and I'm listening to this podcast and I hear you talk about, you know, having a, you know, a comprehensive plan that of discipleship that leads someone from, you know, from the children's ministry all the way through the youth ministry. But let's say, okay, let's say, and I would think, oh, that sounds awesome. But let's say I'm like, well, our church doesn't really do that or doesn't have that kind of vision. I'm not saying my church does. I'm saying this is a hypothetical. So what would be, where do you start to implement that? Okay. I guess, how, how do you, what are the first steps in implementing that kind of, uh, uh, that kind of like mentality among, you know, different ministries or different ministry areas in the church. I hope that question makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think the first step is just getting people together. Right. So um, I, I mean, it's easy for us, maybe it'd, it'd be easy for a minister to sit in his office and say, here's the 10 things we want to teach in children's ministry. And here's the 10 things we want to teach in student ministry. And here's how they fit together. Or even for a student, pastor and a children's minister to to sit together and kind of plan that out together um but if you can get the stakeholders the parents and um some of the key leaders in a room together to begin to talk about that i think first of all just the conviction that church members have the holy spirit and um and then getting them together to think about that together um and ask the question what do we want for our our kids that are being raised in this church before, before they graduate, uh, putting those things on a, on a dry race board or, or writing those down and, and then, and then beginning to map out what that, that looks like over 12 years. And so I always think the first step is getting a group of people together and having them ask, ask the questions. And so, uh, what's going to, I think often what comes out of that is you have, folks there that really know the denominational distinctives, you know, they know, like, here's the catechism we learn, Lord's Prayer, Apostles' Creed, Ten Commandments, and, and you've got the folks that are really passionate about their kids having Bible study skills, but you've also got, you know, moms and dads in the room that are, are like, when do we teach kids about how to use a cell phone? Like, 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 where, where are we talking about sex and gender and, um, how early does that start? Is that starting in children's ministry? Like, at, and if, if you can get people in the same room talking about that together um, in a way that they all buy in, um, 
it's it's a helpful way to shape a culture of a church and not not just change a program. And so, if, if that makes sense, does that, does that make yes. sense, Kurt? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and, and I think too, it's just it. I mean, sounds you know fairly common sense. Get get the same people or get people in the room, but but I mean, how how vitally important it is to get those people in the room, get them starting to talk and to, to kind of like you said, create this culture. Um, to you know, it's, there are many churches and um, families who just think, okay, well, hey, it's the it's the church's job to do this, um, and to to get people in the room to realize, no, okay, biblically, look, this is um, the church working together to disciple this generation that we all have a responsibility, and so I think that's an important first step that we we can um, you know quickly miss, and and so it's it's important to bring up. Um, look, so, something else I wanted to to focus in on too. I know you have a a chapter in your book um, talking about, you know, catechizing the the YouTube generation. And um, you talk about the importance of habit and tradition and kind of rhythms um, to establish at an early age. I'd love for you just to kind of touch on that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's something we see in the scriptures in, in the old Testament um, that when God gave his people the law, he had the children in mind. And so he gives a, um, you think about the Passover festival, uh, when it's celebrated, it's an annual thing. It's a rhythm that happens every year. Um, and yet it's a rhythm that involves the kids. And so, you know, Exodus 12 says when the kids see you sacrificing the lamb and putting the blood over the door and, and, um, when we're sweeping the house to, to get all of the leaven out of the house, when your kids ask you, why do we celebrate this, uh, be ready with an answer to tell them. And so um, at each one of those stages, whether it's the giving of the law where he says, uh, teach these things along the road. And when you sit down and when you rise up, um, he's got, the Lord has kids in mind for, for each of those things. And I think, I think building on that model, um, what we see in the new Testament and then what we see in our lives are, are first of all, I think habits and practices that we can do every day. Um, leading our families and, and family devotionals or, or family worship, um, but also uh, sort of annual rhythms, thinking about whether that's thinking about in some traditions, the church calendar, or just even thinking about your church's calendar. What is our church? Things like Vacation Bible School, what does our church do every year? And how can we be intentional about discipleship throughout? throughout the course of the year. Um, so, I mean, you know, I went to seminary and studying Greek and Hebrew and I had kids and realized I quickly, I knew nothing. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, um, and honestly, like family worship practices in our family happened because, um, a friend of ours gave Megan, my wife, um, a, de- an Advent devotional book, um, that went along with a Jesse tree where, uh, which is a thing where you read a devotional that tells the storyline of the Bible and hang an ornament on a, we bought like a $5 Walgreens Christmas tree to go along with the devotional book and hung the little ornaments up. And, you know, over time that, that became just a habit for us where the kids were excited at, at Christmas time, dad, what devotional are we going through this year? And so for years, like, I would do family 
worship during Christmas and we'd keep it going until about March. And then I would lose steam. <laughs> we wouldn't do it. <laughs> we wouldn't do it for a while, but, and our school would start in September and, you know, we'd get really busy and not do things. Mm-hmm. And then um, Christmas would come again and the kids would be like, dad, what devotional are we doing again this year? And we'd get it out and it, and it helped sort of build that into the culture of our family. And I think as I saw um, the Lord working that way in my own life, um, I realized how are we going to cultivate those same kinds of habits in our church life? And so we started doing a devotional before Easter every year, a devotional before Christmas and a devotional that went along with our vacation Bible school curriculum that we would, would give to families during the summer. And the idea was um, not a big program, but three times a year, as just part of the regular habit and culture of our church, we're going to challenge parents to be intentional with having gospel conversations with their kids and, Mm -hmm. and to read the Bible with their kids. And so I, I think that's, um, yeah, I think, I think as ministers, we tend to try to program things and, and most of what we learn comes from habits and practices and a culture. And, um, and so, um, I think my philosophy over the years has shifted a little bit where instead of um, focusing on starting new programs, um, I've encouraged the ministers I work with now. And then uh, my ministry certainly changed it. So during over years to, to emphasize those habits and practices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's so helpful. And I mean, as, as you point out in the book, I mean, just some of those kind of family traditions, you know, as well, and you kind of get into Christmas, but just how, you know, practically just throughout, I mean, what we know the Lord has established rhythms and routines just in life and seasons coming about. And so it's really just kind of tapping into some of those just natural rhythms and routines that the Lord has kind of woven into the fabric of his creation. And so I just thought that was, that was really helpful. Um, I'd love for us, I know we, we have about 10 more minutes or so um, yeah, to talk about gender, <laughs> something that's, you know, fairly easy to discuss, but but that's a, another book that, and I cannot remember how I stumbled upon this, um, but, but you wrote a booklet entitled Teaching Your Children About Gender, Helping Kids Navigate a Confusing Culture. And I do want to tell all of our listeners, and I'll put a link in our, our podcast, this is only $1.99, everybody. So you should definitely go out and check it out. And I know it's on the ERLC website. Um, is it on Amazon as well? Or is it just, I don't there? know. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. We can check that out. If, if it is, we'll, we'll put a link to it. Um, but just curious, okay. As you're, I mean, you're talking about children's ministry, you're, you're talking about how the Lord called you into that. Okay. What was it about, you know, this topic that the Lord kind of led you to say, okay, I, I want to write about how to teach our children about gender. Well, I think, I think we had like three or four pastoral care situations Hmm. in a row at the church. And, um, I, I am a writer. And so I, I think the way that I, I sort of think myself clear with things like that is, is thinking about how are we going to teach about this to our student ministry? And then, um, how can I kind of write out those things? So, um, I, I was not the pastor over college ministry, but worked with our college ministry leaders and um we had a a number of transgender students who were coming to our college ministry and began to ask questions about um both questions about like you know the big controversial things like pronouns but also uh just like okay how do we do a retreat 
where we've typically had guys' cabins and gals' cabins and thinking through some of those issues. Um, and then, um, and then, you know, two or three kids, um, uh, who were, who were coming out and confessing either same-sex attraction or, or identifying as, as gay or, or trans, um, in our ministry. And so I was trying to think through how do we equip parents, um, to enter into these conversations, um, before do they before they get to those crisis points and so that's what led to to writing the booklet hmm. i'd love for you to jump in here oh sure i um i guess this is going to piggyback on what we were talking about earlier about when when these conversations begin getting the people in the room you know uh, addressing these issues before someone becomes 12, 13, 14, you know, maybe even when they're younger, how, give us a guideline of, you know, in your experience about how, how that looks, how, how uh, maybe not having conversations about gender, but preparing students to have conversations about gender. How, how, how does that look for you? Yeah, I mean, I think there's three things that are really important. Um, one is we made it a regular part of our rhythm of teaching with our student ministry. And so, you know, we're like, this is going to sound old school Southern Baptist purity culture, but, but uh, during prom week in the spring, <laughs> um, during that month, we teach through a series during, in student ministry on gender and sexuality. And so we're, we're just saying, Hey, this is a time when kids are, are thinking about this already. And so, from sixth grade all the way through 12th grade, we're going to talk through some of these issues. And we do that separately for middle school and high school, but that's a regular part of our teaching. Um, inviting parents into conversations around that too. And so what we send emails to parents saying, hey, we're going to be teaching through this. We're going to have these information sessions where you can come and ask questions about what we're teaching and, and, and talk through that before we teach that publicly as well. So just doing that in conversations with moms and dads. And if you already have a relationship with them or you've built trust, then uh, it just gives them an opportunity to say, okay, we know each other, but let's talk about what this looks like. Um, so then I'll, I'll put on my children's ministry hat for just a minute. Um, I just think like one thing I really wanted for my daughters and um I, I mean, I don't think we accomplished this perfectly, but one thing I wanted for my daughters and that I pray for, for kids being raised in the church is that they'll encounter sin and brokenness in the scriptures before they encounter it on YouTube and out in the world. And so I, I really want, um, you know, we're not going to teach about Judah and Tamar to a preschool class. Um, but there's a sense in which like maybe an upper elementary and, a, and a, um, a middle school group actually does need to see mm. some of those harder passages in the scripture before they see those same things on YouTube, because the, the scriptures are going to give them the framework for understanding this in light of, of God's heart and God's story and God's holiness and, and his judgment. But but also his love for sinners that, that we're not going to see, they're not going to encounter if they first encounter 
uh, sin and brokenness out in the world. And so, you know, I want kids from an early age to learn about Sodom and Gomorrah. Like I want them to, to see um, what Paul says about exchanging glory in Romans one. I want them to see, you know, in first Corinthians where, where he names those, including homosexual offenders who won't inherit the kingdom of God, but then looks at the church and says, and so were some of you before, you know, before you turned to Christ. Like I want them to have that vision of, of God's good design, God's, our sin, um, and then the redemptive vision um, for those who, who experience brokenness and sin um, that we're given in Christ. And so I think that's, um, that's the harder one because the curriculums for children's ministry don't include a lot of those stories. And so I I think that's the one that um, really wrestling through how do we talk about this um, with a younger generation that's encountering this out in the world at a younger and younger age. And so, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have more to say about that, but I I do think that's, that's something that I think it, it, so for us, it actually, because we used a curriculum that we bought, we didn't often teach that in Sunday school. But when we were thinking about equipping moms and dads to teach their kids at home, we were saying, hey, here's, read through the book of Genesis or through the book of Judges and talk about the hard stories. Um, and here's some, some, some things that like, but a lot of parents don't feel equipped to talk about that. And so you, you want to set them up to say, when you encounter these things, here's some things to talk through and you don't have to have all the answers, but, um, but we do want to kind of tie those stories back to the larger, the larger biblical things. Yeah. And one thing I, you said that I, I think is really interesting that I run into a lot in youth ministry is when you don't, when you hide or obscure the parts of the Bible that are like the dark parts or yeah. I was talking with a parent the other day and I said, you know, if the Bible was a movie, most parents wouldn't let their kids see it. Um, and so, uh, I mean, especially Judah and Tamar that, I mean, that's really just scratching the surface of some of the stuff that goes on in the Bible. Yeah. But when you obscure the dark parts of the Bible where God addresses really ugly, gross sin. All sin is ugly and gross, but you know what I mean? Grievous sin. Um, you know, uh, when you, when you obscure it, then what you do is you, you kind of, you're, you're kind of helping to foster like a secular sacred division in the child or the student's mind, where it's like, these are things that are in the world. The church doesn't know anything about these things. Like the church, we're worldly wise over here and we know about these things that really go on, but the church they're in their ivory tower. When in fact, if you read the Bible, you know, (laughs) it's anything but that. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yep. We did judges and uh, Job for family worship. Um, You know, my kids in middle school and high school and, and they're like, what the heck, dad? Why are you picking <laughs> these books? When, when, they, when, he, when he cuts up the woman's body into 12 uh, pieces and yeah, sends absolutely. it to all the tribes of, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, that's intense. Um, yeah, you, you don't, that's not on a lot of flannel graphs down in the children's ministry. <laughs> no, no. Um, yet. Yet, Kurt, um, maybe. Yeah, well, maybe I'm working on it. My, my, my flannel graph <laughs> business is going to take the church by storm. 
<laughs> so uh, I know we're, we're about uh, about at time, but but something you just kind of mentioned a minute ago, uh, Jared, and and something that you mentioned in your book is just that parents feel pressured to respond perfectly. I mean, in this context, talking about gender, and you say something like, you know, they'll feel like it's their fault if their children grow up and you know. Um, question their gender or, or whatever. Um, I'd love for you just to kind of speak to those parents, maybe a word of encouragement of the pressure to respond perfectly to all of the cultures uh, throwing towards them. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one thing one of my mentors told me, um, um, the most perfect father in the Bible, God himself has prodigal children. Hmm. Um, who are we to expect? that some of us won't also have prodigal children. And so I think I want to couple that with the promises and the expectation that that God God puts grace on believing families. And yet um, our kids have wills. Our kids um, often follow their desires. And uh, there will be families in the church that experience kids who stray. And so, um, you know, my encouragement to moms and dads is receive, know that God pursued you when you strayed. Remember, um, remember the ways that God has pursued you when you do stray even now, again and again, and uh, be the kind of parents that rest in the fact that he's pursuing your kids that way. And, um, and that um, if you develop a, a, a heart of gentleness toward your kids and patience toward your kids, uh, uh, prayerfully, we can be the kind of homes and families where that kids, when they do come to the end of themselves, will come home to and uh, be welcomed back and and celebrated. And so uh, that's one encouragement. And then I think um, the other is Luther's theology of the cross, you know, that uh, um, in weakness, God shows his strength. And so don't be afraid to put your weak foot forward. Um, that the greatest glory of God was displayed um, there um, when uh, God himself was crucified for us. And, and so put your, your weak foot forward and, and recognize that God loves um, again and again to show his strength and beauty through, through our weakness. Mm-hmm. Those are some some good words uh, to end on. Um, I want to point our, our listeners again to your books, uh, Keeping Your Children's Ministry on Mission and then Teaching Your Children About Gender. We'll put both of those links in, in the show notes. I'm just curious, are you working on, on something else uh, currently right now, other than all of your articles at the Gospel Coalition? <laughs> um, I'm editing lots of people's articles on the Gospel Coalition <laughs> right now, but um, uh, some friends and Mine and I are working on a, a book tentatively called Press Pause um, uh, with New Growth Press. It, um, it's going to teach, it, it, it's video game themed. And so we're taking themes from Minecraft and uh, Super Mario Brothers. Um, and we're teaching uh, Apostles Creed, Lord's Prayer, and Ten Commandments um, and 52 devotionals through, um, through video games. So it's really fun because. I can play video games and have the excuse that uh, that I'm working on my project. <laughs> Very nice. And yeah, I see the Nintendo Switch there in the background uh, of your house. <laughs> um, so w- w- when's the tentative release date for that? Um, sometime in 2023. I don't think we have a 
official release date yet. Excellent. Well, we'd love to get you back on uh, when that comes out. That sounds like an excellent book. So thanks for your, your work on that. Thanks for your work on these other books, as well as your, your work at the Gospel Coalition and taking time to, to come on the podcast today, Jared. Well, thanks for having me, John and Kurt. Good to meet you too.